snack. Welcome back to another episode of the Youth Ministry Booster Podcast. Super excited to be my buddy Chad Higgins talking about youth ministry. But before we get into today's tender topic, you had a story that you wanted to share about something maybe a little more sweet. Well, it's an embarrassing moment. <laughs> um, That's not how you set it up. Well, so here, if you're a listener, never seen a photo, I'm... <laughs> Audio fan only. Oh, oh, I, I, I just I like the way you talk. I just the, the listening of the voice. You yeah, ever yeah. have that like where you've listened to someone and then like their face just does not match? Well. See, I always have it the other way for like people that I read and I finally hear them in an interview and I'm like, ugh, <laughs> not, not that's not the voice no, you're supposed no. to. Make. One of my favorite teachers, professors that I ever had. I read his books for many years before I heard him in class, and it was just like I go back I, and I can't unhear his voice. Amazing. And so when I read his books now, I'm like. It's differently. It's just a little bit. It's like it's a certain like uh, you know you you expect to read certain words and attach a certain like timber to it and like just not the case. So so the the story I'll share of embarrassment today okay. it is is one. And I was asking you, we've done so many of these podcast episodes. It may be somebody in the backlog may have. The, they're like, like we've heard this. Actually, story. Actually, episode thirty seven. You did mention this uh, in, a, in a more indirect way because it does seem like a story that, like, when it happened, we would have definitely talked about. Did it happen in the ten year? Which, by the way, happy almost seven year anniversary of doing this. Uh, you've roped me into seven years. You, it, it, it'll we'll be on our. We're seven, doctors at this point. We'll be on. Yeah, thanks, Tommy boy. We'll be on. We'll be on. Uh, we are seventh year and about six weeks, and so we want to celebrate with folks that when that gets crazy. here. Yeah, it'll be seven. Well, because Isaiah turns seven in September. We've uh, changed a so lot in seven years. We have. We have. Um, okay, so yeah, no, this is definitely within that this seven years. This okay. is actually within the last two years. I don't remember exactly when it happened. Um, it gets hard to keep the phone calls in the podcast straight. Correct. We talk yeah, a lot. We true. talk a lot, and I forget what's actually documented. Exactly. <laughs> maybe that's maybe healthy, right? No, there are some things we don't, don't want, want document. to document. There are some early morning phone calls that are just yeah. Um. So one of one of the people that I worked with at Summit, her yeah. daughters were selling Girl Scout cookies. It's precious. Okay. Which, how do you say no to those? It's genius. Like, yeah. You can't. Do you want sweet treats from innocent, loving children? Will you buy a box of cookies? One, I like cookies. <laughs> Art, you had me at cookies. <laughs> right. And two, you're adorable. Right. <laughs> um, and so... And the more I buy, the more it helps you? Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> And it's also a thing where, like, I can't ask for change back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like... It's like you can't, it's like offering plate. You're like, I only have a twenty. I see you don't have change. I guess I'll be getting six boxes then. <laughs> Correct. So I gave a twenty. Yeah. I got. I think you get five boxes. I okay. may be wrong okay. on that. Maybe I only got four. Anyways, what I do know is I was going to take them home. I didn't immediately bust into the boxes. Okay. <laughs> that's that's probably a low point. If you bust into the box before you get back to your car, you yeah, may have a cookie problem. Correct. <laughs> if you're still if you're still making eye contact and it's not your kid that yeah. sold you the box yeah. of cookies, 
And you're eating them? That's a good line. You can't eat Girl Scout cookies in front of Girl Scouts. Correct. <laughs> it's your kid. That's when you've got a cookie disorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. If you're buying in front of Walmart and it's open before you get in the car. Too much. Too yeah. much. You, you, you cut, cut you off. We're done. We're done. Yeah. So I take the box of cookies, which, by the way, there, there are right and wrong answers of cookies, but we're not going to get into that on this episode. I buy the box of cookies. I like that you've gone this far and haven't said which cookie you actually bought. No, because you should know. Okay. <laughs> um, so I get the box of cookies. I throw them into my backpack that has my like laptop in it, those kind of things. Um, I had a meeting that afternoon with someone from the church uh, at Starbucks, okay? Uh I remember I need I needed my laptop for something. I, I think I was meeting like with a small group leader. We were going to walk through like some small group stuff or whatever. I I bring my backpack in that is I mean chocked full of Girl Scout cookies. I have my laptop in there, so I go. I order coffee. I go sit down at the table. This Starbucks is packed. You know what I'm talking about? Like that time in the afternoon where people like need a little bit more coffee. There's a bunch of people meeting there. Yeah. People are working out of this. Everybody's on round two. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's full, dude. There's a line. I go and I sit down. And as I'm pulling my laptop out, Zach, I kid you not, Girl Scout cookie eruption. Okay. <laughs> a fountain of thin mints <laughs> come out of this bag just loose just loose just dude loose, you got loose thin mints well, no, no, they don't come out of the boxes but here a big heavy set dude walks <laughs> imagine yourself watching this okay you've got your cup of coffee and from across the room 300 plus gentlemen sits down and then just boxes of girl scout three cookies. bills and two sleeves you just go <laughs> Just cookies go all across the oh. floor. And so now, dude, there's nothing more embarrassing than having to like scoot scoop un up, <laughs> scoop under cookies and like put them back in your bag where you're just like, yeah, I just casually you, walk around. Oh, you put them back in your bag. What are you supposed to You didn't throw them away. You put them back in your bag. <laughs> the, the boxes, the cookies were safe, Zach. I'm going to eat <laughs> these cookies still. There's nothing wrong with the cookies. The Is, were you talking to the cookies while you were scared? I'm like, how'd you get out of there? It's just like someone oh, you pour some more. Come, come on, come back in here. Get, 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 get back in my bag. Oh my god! I'm just, I'm just imagining the girl with the pink drink at the bar who was just trying to make it to Pilates class. Think maybe today's gonna be okay. <laughs> Oh, just a, just a yeah, dude. Anytime to you find yourself on your hands and knees, <laughs> scooping up, picking up some mowing cookies <laughs> off the ground at a Starbucks, in a public space, yeah, it's not a good day. Um, that's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's a great opportunity for folks to to step in and either minister or counsel, depending on. You no, know, they just looked. They just <laughs> just judge. <laughs> I've never been so harshly judged. Because anytime something like that happens around me, I immediately I'm going backstory, right? Okay. Like I'm like <laughs> you're already writing it in. Who yeah. is this guy? <laughs> Why does he have so many cookies? Not the bed? first time this has happened. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, that was a. 
a for sure embarrassing moment story of mine. Um, but what I wanted to talk about today is embarrassment. <laughs> is embarrassment, but but a little bit deeper, right? Okay. And so I, embarrassment, and then these two other words that I want to share are often all used together, but I actually think are very different words. And it's a opportunity that we have a lot in ministering to middle school, high school students of these topics. So embarrassment, guilt, and shame. Okay, embarrassment, guilt, and shame. We're going to dive into a little Prim- bit of vocab. Primarily guilt and shame, okay. right? And so like, how do we help students? How do we minister to students that are dealing with guilt and shame? What are the truths that we need to teach them? Uh, how do we help a student that even over and over we tell them, hey, there's no reason for you to feel this shame anymore, that may still be feeling that shame. (laughs) Because I think along the way, and I would love us to have these kind of conversations, Zach, because I know that for myself, and even now, man, if I'm going to be really honest there are so many times that we get to sit across table with people yeah. where, man, we're not programming anything. We're not talking leadership strategy. It's real life, man. Somebody is struggling with guilt. Yeah. And how do we help them? And what do we point them to that I think is the true work of a minister? Yeah. That I think more and more like ourself and people across the industry of helping resource ministers, we've got to be talking more about these because these are the questions that I think people do we need to wrestle with and we need to get better at it and and all of those kind of things. So um for you, I want to just ask this. You've you've been doing student ministry now for a long time. Yeah. Do you feel like students are feeling more or less guilt and shame today than they were 20 years ago? If they're not feeling it more, I think they're afraid of it more. Oh, talk to me about that. So uh, the, the language that I was going to bring up with you in, in doing this episode, embarrassment, Everybody feels it, whether it's a little bit silly or a little bit more scarring or lasting. Uh, Guilt and shame, I think, are an important talking point for us. Uh, I think a related piece of this is uh, students' fear of being exposed, Mm -hmm. of something that maybe they don't know if it is or something that that is true. Either it is true or they're not sure if it's true about themselves, being told before they're ready to tell. I think there's a little bit of like, uh, it's the it's the I don't know if I'm guilty or not, and I think for a lot of students there is a wrestling with that as because they are like their children, their adolescents, they're in development, they're in formation. Um, you know, they don't want everybody to know uh, the parts of themselves they haven't figured out yet as far as like what they like or you know what they want to do. Like they had a great dream, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to do this thing. I've got an ambition, and everybody's like, "That's ridiculous," or yeah. whatever. They feel like guilty that they would have that thing or they feel shamed for mm. thinking that way. And so I do think there is some of that because um, more now than ever, there's so many opportunities to be guilted or shamed. I, th- I think the I think the the words are still really powerful 
but I think some of the levers and the mechanisms are, are more plentiful for a lot of students. And so uh, I think there's a little more like, I think that's where some of the anxiety conversation comes from is there's just so many things to try yeah. to do. It's like literally the bag just has holes and the cookies are just falling out everywhere and they're just trying to like mm-hmm. hold it together. And so uh, if not more guilt and shame specifically, a fear of more opportunities for being guilty, exposed, or feeling shame, being shamed. Yeah. So as I've, as I understand these words, I'll kind of break them down a little bit of the difference between what I think is guilt and what is shame. So um, I, I believe when we're talking about the English language of this idea of guilt, guilt is often tied to an action, um, and this action or failure to either do or not do an action that is based off of an eternal moral standard, okay, or ethical standard. Okay. So that would be guilt for someone. Uh, to give an example of why someone may feel guilty, um, Let's say that you have a moral standard that you do not lie. Okay. Okay. I'm not a liar. It's it's a it's a no no no. no hold oh. on. I I, I don't li- I, I oh, don't lie. Oh, okay. Okay. Distinctions. It so it is about an action. You believe that lying is wrong. Yeah. And so you do not want to lie. And so when you lie, you've broken your own moral standard. Mm. Um, or a moral standard that you hold to personally. Yeah. Okay. That standard could come outside. So, case in point, being Christians, we believe that lying is opposed to God's yeah. word. It's against His commands. Truth telling is better than Correct. lying. Yeah. And so that is a moral standard that we hold to. And so when we do lie, we feel guilty that we've broken that. Yeah. And so I've I have lied. Therefore, I feel wrong or guilty because of that lie. Yeah. And that you may hold to that, you may continue to feel guilty about that lie for so long because the consequences of that continues to be brought up, right? You have guilt over that lie. Shame, which is a little bit what you're talking to, shame is this external yeah. moral standard or ethical standard that we believe that there's a society that holds to okay. or a culture that holds to. And then when we don't we we don't hold up to that standard, there's a feeling of of shame. Okay. Both that we feel internally, but oftentimes we feel like there's an external pressure of shame that's on us if we are exposed. Okay. Okay. So use the same example. We say a lie, okay, that's the action. And let's say that we live in a culture, which I don't know that we I mean, in some sense, in our American culture, lying is it depends on right the lie. <laughs> right. It depends on the lie, but but it's like if if the benefit outweighs it in a culture, right, right, then right. it's okay. But if you rewind two hundred years, maybe that's very different. Or if you're in a different culture, yeah. lying may look like very differently. So there's a shame level. But what that shame level will do because it's external and not necessarily internal, because you can have shame and actually not feel guilt. Okay. Because let's say that you don't think lying is wrong yeah. personally. It's utilitarian, right? You know? Right. I'm I use my own my own thing. I'm not going to feel guilty about that, but you still may feel shame. Okay. You may still feel like well the rest of the world thinks 
that I'm something different. Mm. The rest of the world thinks that I'm a liar. Mm. Well, let me tell you the reason I did that. I don't think I'm a liar, but they would think that I'm a liar. And so that is shame. Okay. And you may agree with it. You're, you may have instances where I lied. I feel like lying's wrong. The culture that I'm in, it feels like lying's wrong. And so they project on me that I'm a liar. And you begin to think not just that I lied, but at a core level, I am a liar. Mm, okay. okay? Um, and so that's the difference between guilt and shame. And so what do we do with that? How, how do we begin to navigate helping students to realize, like, is it personal identity? Yeah. Is it action? Because here's where this is important. I'm going to get real tender here for a moment. Sometimes shame happens not with our own action. And here's where this is really important to when we talk about ministering. A kid who is abused sexually. Mm-hmm. Okay, lives and sees a culture that may feel like they're saying you have to have this st- standard of purity to be valued and loved. Yeah. Okay, that kid, because somebody else has done something to them, not their own action, yeah. they don't feel guilty about it, but they feel shame. Mm. And what shame often does, because you don't want to be exposed, is you hide. You cover it up because for that young man or for that young lady who that's been done to them, there is a sense of shame. I am dirty. I am broken. It's all internal, personal wording. And so as ministers, when you're hearing someone talk about these things, you're going to hear them in those ways. If it's guilt... To continue to use that, that what we're playing, the, the what we're talking about, I, I've had sex before marriage, is different than I'm unclean, right? We don't know necessarily where that came from, right? What what that kid's talking about, and it's important that we're able to have those conversations. Because when that young lady or that young man is telling us something like that and feeling the worth of their identity because of what someone else has done, we can begin to help them find healing, um, help them to get to help. Those kind of things that are good ministry practices um, because... They, because they've gone through that, will only hear certain things in your talk. Yeah. It becomes a lens for It becomes a very different lens, man. Like, to talk about about sexual purity, and I'm not against that. I think those are very good things. But we've got to be mindful that the lenses and the ears that certain kids hear those things through— because of things that have been done to them, is different. We're dealing with shame. For students who deal with eating disorders, it's the same thing. It's not that I overate or I didn't eat. 
it's I'm fat. Mm. Even for a young lady who's 95 pounds, she sees herself as fat because she's bought into this, what she believes is this cultural standard of what beauty is, and she does not feel like she lives up. That's the... That's the ugliness of shame. Um, and so helping students realize, okay, I just messed up. Yeah. I failed. Man, I feel guilty about that. Because we also uh, we want to teach through this correct biblical standard of conviction. Because conviction can be a very healthy thing. It's a very good thing. It Ultimately, as believers, we believe that it is the Holy Spirit that is teaching us and talking to us, but what's it doing? It's not leading us to a place of guilt or shame, of wallowing or staying in that. Ultimately, biblical conviction is bringing us to a place of Jesus. Yeah. And as ministers, we've got to help students realize that the good news of the gospel— for both guilt and shame, is that your action, and we would use words like your sin, yeah. right? Your sin, your action um, is sinful. Mm. But the good news of the cross and this beautiful story that the Bible paints of how the people pay for sin through blood sacrifice is then completely made perfect and the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that sin is paid for. Mm. But in the same way, right, that as Scripture would teach us that we are sinners, that we are enemies of God, the good news is because of, once again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you are no longer an enemy of God, but you are a friend. Mm. Right, you're no longer abandoned, but you're adopted. Um, you're no longer broken, but you are holy and set apart. Yeah. And so, helping students realize this identity that shame brings of brokenness—that yes, you do not live up to this standard set outside of yourself, but because of Jesus Christ, you do. And that's the thing that we've got to help students understand. And walk faithfully with them in a time period where you realize as a minister that shame is strong. And you're going to tell them what Jesus has done for them, and they may still feel dirty. Yeah. They may still feel broken, but it's it's the work of you and I and these ministers listening of continuing to sit with kids and continuing to tell them over and over about who God sees them as. Yeah. And uh, I want to use really bad words of how bad I think shame is. Like of what I think it is. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, because I've, I've just seen it, I've seen it hurt kids. And, and I've seen what our culture wants to do, because what our culture wants to do with shame is simply just change the standard. Yeah. 
lower that, the bar, lower the, the bar, bar, right? Like move the target. Yeah. That that's the way that culture wants to to deal with shame. It's like, well, if you feel that it's wrong, then the problem has been the standard. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just all agree that it's no longer wrong, okay. and then you won't feel shame. Yeah. Well, I believe like internally, even when we try to change a standard intellectually there's still that place inside of us that just goes no what happened to me was wrong yeah or even what i did was wrong and i feel that and i i wrestle with that and you can tell me semantics all day long but i can't change this feeling that i have mm. and i think us giving the hope of God and reminding these students that we serve a God who entered the brokenness of the world and dwelled among us is is some of the best hope that we can give students some of the best hope and some of the best insight to honest conversations around sin in a way that is hopeful. Uh, I, I think um, the work of the culture is to be as mitigating as possible. Mm. And the truth of Jesus is to be as hope-filled right. as possible. Um, softening how we feel about something is very different than being freed from it. Because mm. it's not a solution. It's not a solution. It's not a solution. And your students are hungry for solutions, yeah. answers. And if you can't take the time in a conversation or in a moment of compassionate teaching to nuance some of the differences, right. then you're just one more lever of shame trying to prop up hope right. instead of letting hope free. Mm.